I'm here today with longtime community contributor and a good friend of everyone in the MySQL space, Shlomi. Shlomi, how have things been for you? Hi, Matt. I'm fine. Everything's fine. Thank you. Uh, we're, we're in good health, and that's all we can ask for these days. So... Yeah, I mean it's it's been it's been tough all over the world, but it looks like you know with with everything going on, hopefully many of us will get vaccinated. Hopefully we'll get back to being in person, and so we'll be able to have conversations in person again. We'll be able to drink a beer together. We'll be able to have a coffee, whatever else we 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 need to do. So I'm so very looking much forward, forward, to, forward that day. to that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Shlomi, you have been in the community and in the MySQL space for as long as MySQL has been around, basically. Um, I've known you since the early days of Percona, um, where, you know, we used to do consulting gigs. You were on the other side of the the, the world. So we, we, we were like ships passing in the night once in a while. Um, but since then, you have done a ton of things that have brought you know, uh, awesome tools, awesome knowledge to the community. Maybe for those who are listening who haven't met you before, can you just give them a little bit of your background? Tell them a little bit about, you know, your your, your journey. I, I know that there's some really cool stuff that you've done. Um, and, and I think everyone would love to hear about some of it. Sure. Uh, so I'm Shlomi, I'm based in Israel. I'm, I'm a software developer. Uh, I'm a developer by, by origin. And uh, through my work as a developer, I was, uh, you know, kind of drawn into databases. Uh, you have to cross paths uh, with databases at some point. And uh, I did land up using MySQL uh, for a few years. And I've always appreciated, you know, the open source, the ecosystem around it. Back in those days, it was PHP MyAdmin <laughs> to help you manage your database. Uh, but th those were the things that were like... You know, appealing to me. There's something out there. It's uh, it's working. It's working well. There's an ecosystem around it, and I've always wanted to contribute to that. And uh, through my later work, I I co-founded a small company, and and then I became both the uh, both the developer of, of the product, but then also the DBA. So I, be, you know, began to see things more from the DBA side and the, the hassle of the operation, etc. And that's where things clicked for me because as a developer, uh, I'm able to to give the more, you know, uh, software programming methodology uh, solution side to uh, to DBA problems, and so a lot of a lot of DBA operations are automated using, you know, cron tabs, a little bit of scripts, etc. And so my my move was to to start writing software to help you manage uh, your databases, and so I began to contribute to open source. Uh, I began a blog. I also did a little bit in consulting. I worked with Picona for just a very brief, uh, very brief time. So I was I was getting you know more and more into the MySQL community, which I which I appreciate until today, and. Um, I started to write some open source tools and notable, some of them, you know, came and, and passed and no one noticed. Uh, others lingered on and most commonly known today are Orchestrator, which is began as a topology management tool, replication topology management tool, but now is more used as a, as a high availability solution, uh, failover, promotions, uh, detections, etc. cetera. Um, and then uh, during my 
time in GitHub, uh, I authored Ghost, which is a schema migration tool. And I've been, you know, I've been uh, around schema migrations uh, throughout my career. And actually the things that I'm doing today are very relevant to that. So maybe we'll discuss that later. Um, yeah, so I, I release a, b a bunch of open source products, uh, some, you know, in my spare time, some, you know, uh, during my work at GitHub, at Booking.com, now obviously at uh, PlanetScale, working on open source VTS. So those are the things I do. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I mean, I know that so many people have been helped by both Ghost and Orchestrator. Um, it's... I, I, I see those constantly being brought up as solutions in many different organizations. They've really been adopted uh, quite well. And so that's exciting to see. But you, you talked about coming from that developer space. And yeah. my kind of theory and what I'm seeing is there, there really is this merging of DBAs and developers now where, uh, honestly, it's hard to know where one is. And are there is there really a dedicated DBA position in a lot of companies anymore? Because we, we've moved to this, this, this space where everything is infrastructure as code. And so you've got a lot more development overlap with what used to be DBA functions. And, and they've kind of merged. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Um, and so, and, and, and yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in the old days, you could just be the VDA who guards over the database, don't, doesn't let people in, or you know, pushes uh, requests, don't touch my database, and and you know, you you'd have to operate things manually, and that's what you do. But these days, I think, are long gone. And today, it's I think for most DBAs, it's not even enough to know uh, Bash scripting or something. You really not need to to be aware of and collaborate with, with tooling, with automation, starting from Puppet and Chef and, you know, and, and how to deploy your database and how to configure your database automatically. And uh, yeah, getting to know some ORMs and getting to know some, some tooling around. And if you need to run uh, extra backup, then you need to understand how that works and where the output goes. And it's no longer just a, a bunch of scripts. You really need to integrate with, uh, you know, uh, if, if you have monitoring solutions, you need to figure those out. You need to integrate everything together. So uh, DBAs don't necessarily need to be full-blown developers, right? But there's a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, overlap between the two worlds nowadays. And, and that's why, like, now we're seeing more of that kind of SRE, DBRE kind of yeah. role kind of form from what was a lot of DBA infrastructure folks uh, pulling over some of the developers and, and kind of merging into this new role. Uh, so I've seen that quite a bit. There's been quite a bit of talk on, you know, where that 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 that, that position is going. So I've even written stuff and talked about, is, is the DBA dead? Um, you know, I, I think it's just evolved personally. Um, but it's definitely a, a evolution and a change. Now, as you've gone through that evolution and change, like, you know, you coming from the developer space, at what point did you look back after you, you gained some of your, your more core database skills and say like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. Um, I, 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 you know, as a developer, I didn't know this about the database and now I regret writing that code. Did you reach a point where, where you transitioned and, and, and started to grow into the database space and kind of, you know, said, oh, yeah. 
I mean, I mean, is the question, do I regret some software that I've ever written? That happens all the time, for sure. Um, yeah, well, but, but, but yeah. now that you've got those, those MySQL yeah. DBA skills, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, like, you know, DBA-wise, I used to do a lot of things manually back in the day. It was like, you know, you, you had those database pets, right? You had this server and that server. And it just made sense to do things manually and, and wake up to some phone call telling you, hey, things don't work, it's all right. And, and you'd figure out, yeah, my automation is really not, not very good. Like, I, I, don't, I don't get to solve problems without waking up in the middle of the night or getting a phone call while I drive, etc. So those are the things that you know, scare me the most. Like, is there anything that I haven't automated that, that's going to come at me when I'm least prepared to handle it? And so, for sure, I, I wrote, I wrote many things in the past. You know, like cron job based things that things that, that would just get lost in the noise. You know, something would fail, and then you know, there's a cron notification going somewhere. It's it's not really audited. It's not really collected in a very uh, good manner. There's no centralized place where you can go check for for the pending errors, etc. So there, there's a bunch of things. There's a bunch of open source software that I wrote that I, you know, it wasn't high quality, but that's the way you learn. Uh, that's the way you make progress. Yeah, of course. Of course. And I mean, it's, it's always that constant evolution. Um, but that evolution helps us grow, right? So as we make mistakes, as things happen, you know, you learn how, what to do, what not to do. And you know, eventually you start developing things that are really cool and interesting. So I know Orchestrator was a project near and dear to your heart. Tell us maybe like, how did that come about? Like what, what was the inspiration for Orchestrator? You know, you, you mentioned that it kind of evolved from its original purpose. Right. Um, you know, so when you started out and said, I, I'm, I'm going to work on this, what, what was, what was going on? What, what did you think? Yeah. Yeah. So I was working at the time for Outbrain which had a fairly, uh, you know, medium-sized database backend was was nice. Everything was working smoothly, but we're, we're kind of flying blind, right? Uh, we had this complex topology, lots of replication servers across three data centers. And, like, at any given point in time, we, we didn't really know, like, how does the topology actually look like right now? And we used to have, like, network failures between different DCs, and that would really impact some of the replication streams, and we still wouldn't know like why does the system behave as it is right now. And one of the first objectives for Orchestrator was just be able to visualize, hey, give me, give me the visuals. How does the topology look like? What's the primary? What are the replicas? In which data center are they? And if the topology doesn't make sense, or if I'm going to do some maintenance work on some, you know, the link between the two DCs, can I refactor that? And that was the second purpose of Orchestrator, to be able to refactor your topologies. And back in the day, it was pre-GTID, and so you'd had to work very carefully uh, on you know, detaching one replica from here and assigning it to a new primary. And that, that was, um, you know, at the time it was uh, Matkit had a, had a tool like that, which was then abandoned, and Orchestrator kind of revived the functionality uh, in in that Matkit, and uh, and that's how it began. I was actually inspired by uh, by uh, 
a lecture, uh, a, a presentation. I saw it to come live. It was by Gita, by one called Sam Lambert, who today uh, is my boss. He was my boss oh, okay. at uh, Gita, and uh, he's kind of my boss oh, now wow, in Prime Scale as well. Yeah, so it's kind of a full circle, <laughs> like. You know, it's a funny game how you get inspired by one tool and you inspire someone else and you, you use something and someone else uses your code back or your functionality back. I just love that about, about open source. So that's, anyway, that's how Workathrayo began, began. And then, um, you know, it grew out of that position into, okay, let's try and do at least partial failovers. Let's try and figure out how to uh, how to overcome the fact that we don't have GDIDs yet. 5.6 was only coming out. It was very early days for GDID. It, was, it wasn't easy to migrate into GDID. And so that's where Orchestrator came up with pseudo GDID. Um, I, just, I then joined Booking.com and then we realized uh, Orchestrator could be the high availability, high availability solution for Booking.com's topologies. And that's that's what we did. So during my time at Booking.com, my main focus was to turn Orchestrator into a failure detection and recovery mechanism that could, you know, promote new primaries, uh, you know, take some servers out of the game and completely rehaul the the existing topologies uh, um, or rethink the existing topologies we had at Booking.com. Oh yeah. Yeah, and <clears throat> so as that was developed, I mean, you started to get more contributors, more people started to look at it. I mean, being a project that, at, at least at first, is is owned by one person and, and really maintained by one person, was there a point that you reached where it's like, wow, I've got a lot more work than I can handle? There's a lot of you know requests coming in for features, a lot of ideas. Like, it's always hard as as a project starting out to really you know, um, reach a point where it's like, hey, this is successful. Oh, my God, it's successful. What do I do? Um, as, you know, maybe are there any tips that you have for people who have their own projects that are starting out that uh, might be useful uh, for, for folks, you know, that, hey, you've got a project like Orchestrator that's starting to pick up steam. H how do you start yeah. to handle the PRs, the bug requests? How do you keep on top of that? Because it's really a labor of love at a certain point. Um, and then you have to, you know, eventually you know, build something a little greater. Absolutely, and those, those are excellent points. And you know, one of the things is that I never took Orchestrator too, too much into my personal space or my personal life. Like I mostly work on Orchestrator during work hours. So some time was allocated to working on this open source project. And so I always put my mindset into both, this is not going to eat away my weekend, and is this a good use time for my employer? And so I prioritize pull requests and issues based on does this make sense for the business that pays my bill right now? Because I'm I'm now using their their bill to 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 work on Orchestrator, and that 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 was kind of my you know what am I working on today? General general purpose like what's I, am I working on high availability today? Then that's my focus. I will be more attentive to, you know, pull requests and issues regarding high availability than those about fancy dashboards. And um, so that, that was my primary drive. The other thing is to really be focused about what you really want your product or project to, to do and try to limit 
community is always going to come up with requests and use cases that you've never thought of. And it's really important to know how to push back and say, I'm sorry, that's not the main business of my product. Like, it's worthwhile that you invest in integrating that into your, you know, Grafana or into your, you know, fancy dashboard, whatever it is you want to do. Here's an API. Okay, I can give you everything through the API. I'm happy to push things through the, the API. And you'll consume that and do whatever you want with that. So that, that's the other thing. Uh, and the third... So boundaries are really yeah. important, really? Yeah, absolutely. And, and perhaps the most important of them all is that I appreciate people's uh, desire to contribute, but anything that's contributed into an open source project or product that I maintain, I'm going to be the one who has to support it. And if something doesn't feel right to me, like if, if it's too big, if it's like, I don't know, someone's going to ask me a question about that and I will have no answer because I really don't understand the code or the purpose of the code, then that, that's unfortunately going to be rejected. And sadly so, but that's my way to keep sanity. I understand. Yeah, those boundaries are super important because... Um, there are people who have very specific niche use cases for their, you know, contributions. They're running some, you know, oddball platform or stack where they are, and it's very like the 1% would use it. Yeah. And, you know, you have to look at, you know, well, uh, how do we cover most people who are going to download it? And adding that it might bloat, it might break things, it might cause a whole re-architecture and it's 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 interesting because some people are okay with it, other people get very upset, um, and it's a fine line. But I think it's a good you know message to folks who have their own projects to focus on those boundaries and make sure they know yeah. not only hey I'm not going to let this consume all my free time, but um, I'm going to be careful about the purpose. Otherwise, this could yeah. just take on a life of its own and end up with something that we don't want. Uh, absolutely, and, and I was very fortunate and lucky to to have a community engagement that was always very, uh, you know, very positive, just appreciative and polite, and and you know, people just genuinely wanted to contribute. So I think if you remain on that level and explain to people, you know, this doesn't work out, this was people will understand. And I, I was very fortunate to never get into this, you know, situation where someone was terribly upset or. You know, uh, it, 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 it just never went there. So I'm, I'm really happy. And frankly, uh, there were a few contributions where I thought they were, you know, like you say, in the 1% margin, like it's in the long tail, I'm never going to be there. And, you know, one year later, I was there. So sometimes it's also good to, to, to accept those seemingly, uh, you know, uh, long tail uh, proposals because you're going to enjoy them eventually. Right. So fast forward past Orchestrator, you know, you moving to GitHub, you, you started working on Ghost, which, you know, schema migrations is long an issue, especially with, with people, you know, um, either doing migrations or, you know, having CIDC pipelines that require um, additional work. You know, how did that project come about? So, you know, how did Ghost kind of like yeah. begin and what, what, what was the purpose for, for you when you created it? Yeah, so 
uh, early on when we onboarded on GitHub, when I say we, it's, uh, several of us uh, onboarded at the same time into the database infrastructure team, uh, we realized we were using PD Online Schema Change, which is a, a great tool and very much appreciated, but it didn't work for us. Uh, Pass in some point. Uh, at some point in GitHub's growth, it just didn't scale. The triggers, the way it worked, the parallel code, the uh, the fact that it wasn't auditable or interactive, um, made it unfeasible to actually migrate some tables. There were literally several tables which were marked as risky, and we couldn't migrate them. Or others that uh, migration was so heavyweight that we we used to like postpone changes to collect like here let me gather uh, two or more three requests for this table and run everything at once. But obviously this hinders the development flow and this is not a healthy situation to be in. And so we uh, we came up with that during a mini summit we had in New York and uh, John Berquist, uh, my then colleague and later my manager. Uh, you know, said, can't we do that? Like tail the binary log and and, and do asynchronous uh, uh, schema migrations. And to, to which I, I originally said, well, no, you can't do that because, huh, hey, I think we can do that. So <laughs> I think later that day, we, 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 took, we took a long walk uh, in Central Park and that's where Ghost was born. Uh, we, we basically laid out the, the principles and, and, and the general design. And it took about four or five months um, to to create Ghost. And since since we first deployed it, we never looked back. It worked very well for us uh, at GitHub. So it answered many of our um, both general purpose as well as internal um, uh, development flow. Like it was very uh, lightweight as opposed to trigger based heavyweight. Uh, it was lockless, which really helped with GitHub, which is very uh, lock intensive, or sorry, uh, write intensive, which leads to be uh, lock intensive, uh, as well as being very interactive. So it, it integrated well with our automation, with U-Bot, with ChatOps. Like we could communicate to Ghost through ChatOps and say, hey, Ghost, what's up? What's the status? Hey, suspend, you know, throttle, abort, abort. Uh, please continue, right? So it was really Very fun cool. for our yeah, developers yeah. to be able to... So we kind of handed the keys to a lot of developers. Hey, do you, you want to see what, what the status of your migration is? You don't need to talk to us, the DBAs. It's, it's all in there for you in chat. You can interact with that. You can actually control it if you really have to during an incident. So that gave us uh, both like more lightweight uh, migrations and less outages as well as um, alleviated a lot of work on the database infrastructure side and giving more power to the developers. Yeah, I mean, that, that it's great. And I've heard a lot of people have made use of that, like I said, as part of those, those pipelines uh, for the development side. Um, I think right now we're in a phase where we are, as an industry and as, as database professionals, we're about enabling developers to self-help. Um, and I think that that's yeah. one of the critical things. You mentioned chat ops, being able to let developers check the status of their migration, kick things off. You know, um, you know, everyone that I have talked to in yeah. the industry is looking at ways to 
basically develop their own databases of service type features functionalities for their infrastructure. And, you know, this is just, you know, another component of it is how do you do schema migrations? How do you do backups? How do you do this? That's the other thing. And make it so the individual can kick those off. Um, and so I, I see that those as, as important um, things and, and kind of the, the trends where the industry is going. Um, now, I know that that post that you've you've moved on to VTES. I see you've got yeah. your shirt on. You've got uh-huh. your VTES shirt, your jacket on. So... What are you working on now at Planet Scale? So you, you know you helped you helped the community with Orchestrator Ghost. What challenges are you tackling now um, with Planet Scale and and on the VTest project? Maybe give us uh, you know a heads up here. Yes, yeah, so you really handed the ball here because you were talking about how every company tries to build the databases and infrastructure uh, for its own, and that's exactly what I'm doing at VTest. So. Uh, to shed more light, I, I work on, at Planet Scale, uh, which is the company that helps build Vitesse. Vitesse is a CNCF open source project. It came from uh, YouTube, but then contributed to CNCF. Planet Scale doesn't actually own Vitesse, uh, but we are main contributors to Vitesse. So we have, you know, uh, Sugu, the co-author of Vitesse, and uh, Divti, the team lead, and a bunch of quite a few developers. Vitesse has maintainers outside of PlanetScale, but we're kind of influencing it the most because we are, uh, that's what we do, right? So we, we write Vitesse, but then we also have a commercial offering. We're kind of in a stealth mode, uh, so I can't elaborate too much about that, but obviously it builds up on top of Vitesse. So Vitesse is in our main interest to, to, to be a stable and, and capable um, uh, tool. Now, what exactly Vitesse is? Uh, people used to refer to Vitesse as a sharding solution for MySQL. I like to describe it more like a framework, uh, a database framework on top of MySQL. It's a massive scale uh, solution um, that you run on top of your uh, database servers. It masquerades as a database server, it speaks the MySQL protocol. You will talk to Vitesse as if you were talking to a MySQL server, but behind the scenes, there's many components uh, like the VDGate, which is a proxy, and the VD tablets, which are like agents running on your database servers, and VDCTLD, which is a daemon that uh, you know operates things in the background. And the magic of Vitesse is because it masquerades as a database, it can make believe as if it's running something very simple while at the same time managing a complex operation in the background. So at PlanetScale, I work both on open source VTS, that's most of my work, but and also a little bit on the commercial side. Uh, open source side, uh, everything is visible, my proof requests are, are public and visible. Let's talk about schema migrations. You know, one of the biggest problems with schema migrations is that they're not very accessible to developers, right? We discussed this. You want to make things more mm-hmm. available to developers. And still, if a developer wants to run, whether it's PD on schema change or Ghost in production, then, you know, they need to SSH or log into some server and then run this script or tool. And they need to supply these command line variables. And they need to know how to throttle correctly. So, it becomes complex, and in a small company that that may be sustainable, but the larger the company is, you know, you you can't give all the developers all the keys to all these database operations. But what if we could? What if we could? Uh, you know, uh, just masquerade everything and 
make believe that you're actually running a simple outer table and let Vitesse figure out all the complexity behind that. And that's exactly what we're doing today. So a developer using Vitesse today can set a session variable that says, hey, you know, I'm running an online DDL. Uh, don't tell anyone. And then I'm running my normal alt table or creatable <laughs> or drop table. Yeah. And Vitesse will take that and it will break that apart and it will say, okay, here's an alt statement. It affects this table. Oh, hey, I have four shards for this table. So I'm going to you know, spread this uh, request across all shards. And each of these shards will say, oh, okay, I have this pending uh, migration. I'm going to queue this request for a while. And then I'm going to run it with Ghost or with PDL schema change or using the test internal mechanisms themselves. And I'm going to just make that happen. And I'm going to auto-throttle because I, Vitesse, know the exact topology of database service. No one needs to tell me who the primary is and who the replicas are. I can figure it out myself. And I have my own heartbeat mechanism. You don't need to set up a heartbeat mechanism. And I can do the cutover manually or automatically and do whatever it is you want me uh, to do. And at the end, at the end, you know, a developer just issued an alt table, but everything ran online. Everything ran asynchronously, and the developer is able to audit and control and cancel or retry migration. And that's that's kind of phenomenal. And we've added things on top of that. So just recently, uh, as as of just recently, Vitesse now supports reverting a migration. So did it ever happen to you? Oh, really? Yeah, so did it ever happen to you that you dropped the wrong index in production or you dropped the colon and everything was supposed to be fine in a perfect world, but turned out to be, you know, an incident and pages are now, uh, you know, ringing and you realize that, oh, no, this was a mistake. I have to revert that. Uh, in fact, I just read the uh, GitHub incident report for this month, and apparently there was j just this type of incident two two weeks ago. And we had, I was part of that team. We had those <laughs> during my days, uh, for sure. This just happens. We're, we live in an imperfect world. So Vitesse lets you figure out like 10 minutes later, oh no, I did a terrible mistake here. Let me revert that migration. And given some constraints, you need to use the, the Vitesse uh, schema change, etc. You can alter back the table into its previous position without losing all that data that you accumulated during those 10 minutes. Wow. And that's like okay. insanity, right? Very cool. That's insanity. Yeah, yeah. Um, how about recovering a migration mid failovers? Right, you have you run this migration. It's been running for two or three weeks, and like, please don't let there be a failover, or else everything goes to the garbage, and I need to restart. No, Vitesse, Vitesse can solve that for you. It can keep up running that migration from the same point where it broke. And so there's oh, like so it'll 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 just pick up and go. It will just pick up. So it's uh, it's it's mind boggling uh, the amount of complexity that would otherwise be like, you know, uh, impossible for a normal developer or DBA to do in the middle of the night, right, during an incident. And now there's right. a bunch of automation that just makes it smooth. So those are the things that I work on uh, schema migration-wise, uh, for example. And th there's more coming. Um, 
I'm really so excited about that because it really changes the game. Uh, it makes you know migrations a no-brainer. Uh, there's more. There's many more stuff. Going I can into. I can tell you. Well, but before we get into the many more stuff, yeah. I can tell you that I talked with, uh, you know, over the last few years, several people, uh, different companies, different users. And, you know, I like to talk to DBAs. And one of the questions I always like to ask is, you know, what's what's the what's the, the biggest problem you're facing? What What's the biggest challenge that you run into? And constantly I get, you know, it's 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 deployment related. It's yeah. we deploy bad code into production. Yes. We had to roll it back. It caused a mess. It caused these issues. And that is a constant thing that people struggle with, because, as you said, as you start altering complex, you know, um, systems and complex data structures, there's a cascading effect potentially. So while, while to revert code might be fairly straightforward, sometimes there's challenges there as well, of course, but um you know, you know, in the past, it's been, oh, yeah, I've, I've committed the changes. I've added the columns. I've dropped the columns. Oh, my God. Now I've got a big operation. So that's actually a really big deal and a really cool deal. Yeah. I, how does how does it work, if you don't mind my asking? I, I mean, I don't know how technically you want to get on this particular call, but like, like what are you doing behind the scenes there? Sure. Um, so it, the, the logic is based on verification. So uh, let me do a quick brief of what verification is. It's one of the secret, uh, hidden okay. hidden secrets, secret sources, whatever uh, you call it, uh, in Vitesse. Okay. Which is, if you know how Ghost runs, it's kind of a similar mechanism where uh, verification allows you to migrate data from here to there online. So what migrate data exactly means is... You can like move a table from one cluster to another live and then be able to switch reads or switch writes or switch your entire traffic to use the new table. Or you can build a materialized view of one table, you know, uh, implemented as if it were as a normal new table. Or you could reshard tables live. Those all, all of these are things that verification does. So in what way it works uh, like Ghost, it, it you know, it copies data or like PD on a schema change, right? It needs to copy the entire data set of one table into another table space, but then it also need, needs to catch up with the change log, with the bin log events that take place over during that time, during that copy, which could take hours and hours. So we re-implemented schema changes using verification, right? The preferred way today with BTS is going to be don't run PD on schema change, don't run ghost run verification, run the internal uh, Vitesse-supported flow. And verification is different than Ghost and, and PDM schema change in that it does everything transactionally and keeps a state of the progress. So you copy a bunch of rows from the original table into the new table, and you apply some binlog events during that time. Anytime you apply the binlog event you write a transaction into the target table. But then in that same transaction, in another backend table, which keeps state, uh, keeps, keeps track of your state, you indicate, you know, this is the, the last bin of event or the last GDID or the GDID sets that I've applied thus far. And as you copy rows, you write down in that table or in, in, in a different table, those are the rows that I've copied thus far, transactionally. 
so that if the server you know, goes down or if you promote a new primary, the same change log is transactionally persisted in those tables and you're able to pick up from that exact location and continue copying rows um, uh, from that location or you can continue applying bin loads from that location. That's for failovers. If you want to revert, then you know how, uh, uh, for our uh, viewers or listeners, you know how all online schema change uh, tools work is by actually creating a new table. I like to call it the ghost table or mm -hmm. the shadow table. And you know you slowly migrate data, you copy data over from the original table into the ghost table, and at the end you flip the tables, right? You do uh, you lock them if you need to, and then you rename the original table into an old table and you re rename the ghost table in place of the original table. So during that time, during that atomic rename, which freeze, uh, we freeze the table, right? We, we, we put a lock on the table. We, we evaluate the rename, but then we also take note of what the exact GTID coordinates are at this time. What's the executed GID at this time? If 10 minutes later, you want to revert your migration, we treat it as kind of a new migration. We say, oh, okay, you want that schema, right? Here, uh, we already have that table from 10 minutes ago. You know, we, kept, we, we, we put it for safekeeping. We know that schema. We're going to reevaluate what, what the migration statement would look like. And then we would kind of run a new migration, only most of the data is already there. We just need to keep up from that GDID set, which we recorded ah, in, okay. in the previous yeah. cutover. So all you need to pay for for those 10 minutes is the time it would take to catch up with those 10 minutes for that specific table, which is likely to end up with like maybe a minute or two. So that's really magical. And it builds upon... Very cool, yeah. It was literally just patching things. Uh, I didn't need to write a lot of code to make that happen. Yeah, I was just utilizing existing verification logic, a lot of building blocks, which were, they were just for me. Uh, they were there for me to, to just reassemble and, and, and tailor to, to create that. And that, that's the amazing part. Well, that's cool because, yeah, I mean, and any time you have you know, uh, an open source project, you've got, you know, um, you know, the building blocks there. A lot of times the coolest features are the glue between those, right? Absolutely. So it's, it's not, you know, the, the, the deep engineering, oftentimes that's already done um, because, you know, it, it's that glue that makes it so much easier for everyone. And <clears throat> I, I get a lot when I talk with people about, you know, Hey, have you ever thought about contributing code or contribute? Sometimes people are scared because they're like, oh, I, I, I'm not a C programmer. I'm not, I'm not, I don't know, you know, deep logarithms. I don't know that. I, and it's like, you don't have to in a lot of cases. Um, there's some really cool, powerful things that you can do. And uh, this sounds like a cool feature that I could see a lot of people making use of. Yeah. Definitely. Um, now, now you alluded to other cool things. <laughs> yeah. And so I think you were going to tell me about all some of the other cool things that you were working on. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of endless. So, um so while I, I, I discussed uh, schema migrations, I kind of mentioned throttling 
So one of the other yes. big problems in relational databases, or you know, with MySQL replication topology is really, you have one primary that takes all the rights, and then you have all those replicas which play, play catch up with the primary, right? And one of the big right. problems is for them to be able to catch up. And you know, you have this ETL, you have this massive, massive job, it's now uploading tons of data into some table, and then all of a sudden the replicas are lagging for 90 seconds, uh, and that creates stale reads for your app, and it's generally unhealthy. So one of the other things that we have a built-in throttle mechanism, and it's it's based on uh, work that I did um, at GitHub with my colleague Miguel Fernandez uh, called Freno, which is a throttle service. But now we took it you know, to be an integral part of the test. And so if you are going to do like a massive write, uh, hint, hint, uh, schema migration, or hint, hint, you know, a kind of a PT archiver job, you know, where you need to purge massive amounts yep, of yep. data or update massive, massive amounts of data, there's a throttless service that you can consult with and ask, is, is this a good time to write to the primary, right? Are all the replicas in good health? Is lag, does lag look okay? Yeah, okay, cool, let's write some stuff. No, let me check again, and then again, and then again. And so the, the different apps don't need to figure out, you know, oh, what's the list of replicas? Are they lagging? What's the threshold? No, there's, there's one source of truth that tells everything, like now is a good time, now is not a good time. And so it becomes an authoritative uh, throttle mechanism. Um, the other thing, I haven't so, been more. So, so yeah. it, that that would be like. Oh, so that would be like during like you know the holiday shopping season. You 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 know, and and somebody decides to archive half the data. You know, you could say like, oh, well, we want to throttle that because we do not want to impact the <laughs> yes. users buying stuff. Exactly right. I mean, um, because those back end jobs, you, you know, yeah, that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So and so, you know, you can actually have priorities of back end jobs. I mean, some of them could be like high priority. This is part of a really an online retail action right now. This, this data needs to move from here to there. This, this has to be online. But this schema migration, it can wait for three more minutes, right? It doesn't have to run right now. Nothing bad happens if it takes one hour and three minutes as opposed to one hour. And so this one gets a lower priority and can wait a little, a little while longer. Very cool. Um, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Perhaps. And so, so Shlomi, um, let, let, no, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, please. I, I was going to ask, um, you know, and, and I mean, we've got about 15 minutes here left in our time allocated. I, I, I wanted to ask you this question. I'd love to ask um, everybody that I talk to about what they see coming on the horizon. What are some of the trends? What are what, what are they hearing? as they talk with people in the community as some of the cool new things or new challenges that we're facing um, out in the space. So I'm just curious what, 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 what you're seeing, what you're, you're, you're excited about, maybe what you're concerned about, things like that. Right. So, you know, I'm not a prophet uh, and I, I can't always see uh, the trends right, but you kind of mentioned that before. Everyone 
is trying to run their own cloud service, database cloud service thing. Everyone wants to have their own database as a service. Everyone's trying to automate away the most difficult problems that you have today with database, with relational database, which is the model, the schema changes, the high availability, the consistency, you know, all these big problems. And kind of everyone is trying to do that on top of Kubernetes these days, which is in itself, uh, you know, a whole new level of problems. Um, I, yeah, you know, I, I kind of want, want to say that uh, the things that we work on today at Planet Scale Data are exactly at those crossroads, are exactly targeting those, those pain points. And so that's like my real passion at working there that you know, we're solving you know, what, what, what could be you know, the generic solution, the, the, the holy grail, if you will, or the, uh, the grand unified yeah, theory yeah, yeah. of database infrastructure. That's, that, at least I'm, I'm, I'm hoping we'll get there. Um, but yeah, absolutely, a lot more companies today realize that they operate at scale. Um, and a lot of a lot more companies today realize that they can't throw more people at the job. Uh, DBAs are scarce. Uh, their efforts cannot be forever utilized on doing manual labor of you know configuring this replication or creating that cluster or provisioning that server. <coughs> These things have to be automated. It's just not sustainable to let people keep on doing these things uh, manually. And so I, I believe a lot of people, a lot of companies understand today that they, they, have, to, they have to find the automation at scale. And that what you know, previously people would say, not everyone is Facebook, not everyone is Google. You don't need to be Facebook or Google to, be, to hit the scale problems of relational database, right? A lot of companies here. Yeah, absolutely. Those and so, uh, and so, yeah. And I, I mean, even now, even now, more more than ever, you see with um, people doing cloud native architectures. They have microservices. Everybody wants their own database, right? So you have, you, you know, we're, we're not talking. A, a lot of architectures now aren't about, you know, petabyte, you know, a thousand petabyte systems. Um, yeah, sure. You might have, you know, a, a petabyte system, you know, here or there, but you're going to have 10,000, you know, a uh, few gig databases that, you know, like end up here and there for everybody's little, you know, side projects that you have to manage. And that becomes difficult. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, I, th I think that's where people will have to be looking at, like, how can we automate? How can we make my skill run better in Kubernetes? How can we, you know... Uh, what, what are good paradigms for high availability, for durability, for consistency? Those are the things people will focus on next. So, but what, what you said, you said earlier now, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that, that, you know, the Kubernetes thing. So now I've got, I've got my little widget thing here and it's got a switch. So, so for the <sighs> Kubernetes, it's not just like this. Oh, Kubernetes is on. So now it all scales. You mean there's more to... <laughs> than oh just flipping God. that switch. <laughs> so, so they say. So I, I'm not. I'm by far not not a Kubernetes uh, expert. Uh, but we all know how difficult <laughs> it is. Yeah. I mean, 
We all know how difficult it is, in particular, to run stateful applications on a Kubernetes cluster, and in particular, to run a database server on top of a Kubernetes cluster. That's that's something like I, th I, th I think there's there's so much parallel work trying uh, today, um, people trying to figure this out, uh, and not enough collaboration on that space, if I may say so. Uh, people are just trying to figure out whatever works for their company, but we we kind I think we kind of need to understand what what is a good theme like what's a general purpose uh, good practice to just you know run a cluster and from there on how do you proceed to you know to fit your specific build so th 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 this is a, this is quite a challenge yeah. Definitely. Well, Shlomi, thank you for taking some time today to chat with us. I really appreciate hearing about, you know, your past projects, some of the cool stuff you've got going on VTES. It sounds like it's going to be pretty awesome. Um, I know you're, you're, you've got a session that you submitted up at Percona Live. We're excited to hear all about that coming up in a few uh, weeks as well. So, awesome. um, you know, I, I, I hope to sit down and chat with you again as new things come out and as you want to talk about uh, anything in the open source space. Thank you so much for having me here, Matt. Wow, what a great episode that was. We really appreciate you coming and checking it out. We hope that you love open source as much as we do. If you like this video, go ahead and subscribe to us on the YouTube channel. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And of course, tune in to next week's episode. We really appreciate you coming and talking open source with us.